Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper, and here's host, Hunter Heinemann. Hunter Heinemann. <laughs> hey, Hunter, great to have you on the program, man. You've been helping me out the last few weeks. Huh? Hey, it's... It's uh, brought me out of a state of depression, I think. <laughs> I was operating by myself for a while, you know. That, that gets old in a hurry, man. It's always fun to have a, another host on the, on the program. You're doing a great job. You know a lot of young outdoorsmen. We've had se- several of them on the program since you've come on board. Yeah, I do. I've been fortunate to make a lot of friends. And, and it w- if it wasn't for the outdoor lifestyle and hunting, I probably wouldn't have been able to meet those people. So, um yeah, pretty fortunate with that, and um, they've done some pretty cool stuff. So it's fun to have them on the show and hear their story and their take on stuff. So, pretty oh, cool. oh, it really, it really is. And the thing is, uh, you're still in your twenties, man. I'm in my seventies. You got a lot of people to meet yet in your lifetime, and the business you're in, you and you and your dad living the dream outdoor properties, man. You, you do. You, get the opportunity to meet some really grand people in the outdoors with some fabulous places and you guys do a fabulous job of moving those properties as well well i was out on a property this morning that you guys sold a couple of years ago i, I yep. had permission to fish in this 15 acre lake and man i gotta tell you uh, you know it's our early april here we are recording this program which will air in early may but Today's topic in this first segment here, we're, we're going to talk about bass fishing in April and May because I'm all excited right now. I just caught a bunch of fish yesterday. But uh, also this time of year, you know, when I was out this morning, I was hearing, hearing turkeys gobble, and I actually called one up with my voice this morning within wow. se- 75 yards, yeah. you know. Yep. But isn't it great? It is great. <laughs> Spring's happening. Yeah, I had one out in at my in my uh, field at the farm, and he had five hens with him he's just strutting around out there so uh, uh fortunately had to had to work today so <laughs> well i'm gonna get out in the next next few days actually i always like to get out they say not to call to them before season you know and that sort of thing you can get away with a little bit of it i i actually like to get out before season call a little bit yeah. uh call them up and video just a little bit because it's, it's tough to set up by yourself and uh, carry a shotgun and video oh, yeah. equipment and, and get out get mm-hmm. that to work out. Well, you get to scout a little bit, too. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's Plus. the excuse. Yep. My wife, she was fussing at me a little bit this morning. You know, I went fishing <laughs> two days in a row here, and I got a lot Uh-oh. of things I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, maybe it's field research. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm going fishing uh, next week with um, one of – one of our agents, uh, Jeff Browning at Lake of the Ozarks, we're going to go crappie fishing for a couple of days. So, oh, that sounds yeah. like fun. You yeah. tell Browning, I hope his boat sinks. <laughs> well, I hope not because I'm going to be in it. <laughs> Wear your life jacket. 
Yeah. yeah, Browning, he's quite the character, man. I love that guy, big old boy. But your dad, I think, met him at a gas station. You know how he hired him. He, yep. he used to have a big bow fishing boat, but he, he's a great outdoorman. He's yeah. good at it, man. He's got a secret duck hunting spot, too. I keep closing <laughs> in on him, you know. He won't invite me. He won't take me. I haven't know? been invited either. Well, we're both in the same boat then. But, hey, you ought to tear them up crappie fishing, man. Uh, yep. I tell you, I, I watch Facebook every day and got several friends over to Lake Ozarks, including Jack Uxa, who's one of the finest guides in the country, man. I go over, oh, maybe once a year I can get in Jack's boat, you know, yeah. and he'll take me out to, we'll, we'll catch a bunch of bass. And he said, would you like to have some crappie to take home? Well, you can't say no yeah, to something right. like that. You know? Yeah, take it home and then get yourself a turkey and some mushrooms and you got the slam. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, and this is time of year to, yep. to do it. You know, yep. people are finding mushrooms already. In fact, my friend from uh, Kentucky it's invited me over to turkey hunt. He's, he's rubbed it in, man. I'm, I'm going to be over there the 15th on Saturday. That's 15th April now is their opening. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sent me a picture just a couple of days ago. Big pile of morel mushrooms, wow. big ones. Big pile of crappie. He said, we're going to eat mighty fine. I said, yeah, if we can just get a turkey to go with that, we'll, there we'll, you go. Be, we will be in great shape. Well, I want to talk about bass fishing just a little bit here. You know, 1st of April, things are starting to warm up. We've had a lot of rain. Most of the lakes are muddy and high water. This 15-acre lake I was fishing yesterday, that was the scenario. Man, it looked almost like chocolate milk. Still some water coming in from the north end of it. Uh, water up in the weeds, the buckbrush, and the grass. And, uh, man, just clobbered the fish, 75, 80 fish in a few hours. Didn't catch uh, anything really big. The only big one I hooked, of course, broke my line. Got away. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. You've heard that story a time or two. Mm-hmm. But I, I did catch a six-pounder out of that lake last year about this time. Oh, wow. Big female, you know, yep. eggs starting to show. Yep. And some of these bass were showing as well. But I think you and I are going to – Cuss and discuss here a little, <laughs> little bit as we compare notes about yep. ba- bass fishing. But the important thing is to remember there's a ton of lures out there, and we all have our favorites. And I love to throw soft plastics. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your favorite bass bait this time of year? Uh, I have a couple, but I, I like soft plastics as well. Um, I can agree with you on that. <laughs> um <clears throat> You know, if I, like if I'm fishing somewhere where I know there's a lot of sticks or weeds under under the water like that that you can't see, you know, I like to hook up a baby brush hog and make it like a weedless rig and and uh, jig it in, and I just kind of work it real slow. That tends to work good. And then like if I'm in real muddy water like that, I'd say my one of my favorite colors is uh, just a black plastic with the blue flake. Or really anything that's like a, a dark color that might kind of resemble like a um, maybe a, a crawdad. And I, that, that tends to work for me. And uh, so a baby brush hog. And then a lot of times I'll throw like a, a jig in mm-hmm. um, with a skirt. And again, it's black with blue flake. And I'll put a little um, crawdad uh, trailer on it. And it's got also the the brush guard on it with the little wires and it keeps you from getting hung up too, but I just work them real slow on the bottom 
Next thing you know, it just feels like a big old anchor on your line, <laughs> and then you set the hook. Hey, it doesn't get any better than that. That is a great way to go up. I, I can't argue that point. But over the decades, I, I used to be a big jig fisherman as well. And, and for some reason, other man, when these soft plastics really came on strong, of course, we had soft plastics. Who was it? The old Cream Lure Company came out with the first rubber worms many, many years ago. And we mm-hmm. thought that was just fascinating. I remember yeah. the first ones I ever bought in a Western Auto store. That looked like something you fish up north because they had a big rig with it that had a uh, couple of spinners in the front with beads. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then there was wire or line through the little rubber worm. Uh, it looked mm. like a horrible thing to fish with but it catches bass like crazy yeah. you know but yeah. today these days i'm a big fan of yum products that's a pradco product and uh, they make all kinds of soft plastic but i brought bags and bags of bait in here we'll smell like garlic or something before the show is <laughs> over but yum uh, dinger five inch one yesterday i was throwing a green pumpkin with a chartreuse tail and i rigged those texas rig style where you yeah. get a bullet weight to slide up and down that line yeah. and man i was throwing these things right in I mean, right in the brush, brush sticking up two or three feet out of the water. And those fish were right in that brush or laying right next to it. A lot of times they, they would hit that uh, five-inch dinger as soon as it hit the water. Yep. Now, most of the time, I'd, seldom did I let it go all the way to the bottom. And I'm talking three, four foot of water. But I would jig that thing and hop it, and they would hit it, seemed like. On the fall. Yep, almost every time. Yeah, that's. I've noticed that in springtime, it seems like you can throw it, and they e- they either hit it before it hits the ground down there, or you know after you pop it up and jig it, and it's floating back down and fluttering, you know, and it's got that action on the tail or whatever it is that you're throwing that that tends to work too. Well, I think I put a heavy hook in these five inch dingers, like a five aught. Right. It's a big, strong hook, and that helps with the sink rate a little bit, too. I like mm-hmm. for those things to sink fairly rapidly. I mean, your weight shoots right to the bottom, sometimes yep. slide through the line, and your your plastic bait will kind of uh, drift down. But I had a friend of mine, I won't call any names, in a boat with me that used to own that lake, and we still have permission to fish it. But he insists on throwing a little spinner bait, a little bitty strike king, uh, many whackers, I call them. I use them for crappie fishing, but he wants to throw those things bass fishing. I thought maybe he's going to throw it up on the bank before we was over because I, I was really out fishing, it, uh, you know. But I think <laughs> it, it all depends on the conditions and stuff. And, again, like – some, like when the water's still colder, I found that it's better to also make your bait move a little bit slower because it seems like the fish aren't as warmed up yet. Absolutely, uh, moving as quick. But uh, I uh, <laughs> I can side with your buddy that uh, I use some some spinner baits and uh, chatter baits. I bet it's bigger than a mini wacker though. <laughs> this is a half ounce usually. Um, it's pretty big, and then I usually. Um, Actually, even if the water is muddy, I always just go to uh, chartreuse and and uh, white, and then great combination. Yeah, and then I put um, on that the main hook. I put a little um, zoom minnow trailer with the paddle tail, or like a really tiny three inch skinny worm with like a red tail, and ah. it's split at the end, and it just kind of flicks around when you reel it in. And uh, I use the Colorado blade. If it's pretty muddy water, because it puts out a big vibration 
You betcha. So those fish just kind of, I think, feel it go by them and they react to it. And then they see that bright white. Um, but, uh, and then I've, one of the biggest bass I've, the biggest bass I ever caught was on, on that setup. Uh, <laughs> no wonder you're it was it. <laughs> well, it, was at a, it was at a farm pond too. So, but it was at my dad's property and threw it under a dock. And he, uh-huh. it was, uh, I had thrown it under there like four times and threw it by it. And uh, nothing, and then threw it in again, and it. Just, I thought I hit the dock, and it was an eight pound, about right under wow. eight pounds. It was like seven point nine. Um, <laughs> that was the biggest fish I caught. But I use a, a chatterbait with the same colors and kind of the same trailer too, um, and have some luck with that this time of the year. I don't. I don't know why. Works for me, but and I usually reel them in a little bit slower, and I might even. Uh, I might even pause it and just let it sink a little bit and then reel it in again because, again, it, sometimes they'll hit it on that fall. Uh, exactly. There's something about that. Exactly. Well, I can't argue with your techniques there, but uh, I've moved away from those baits just a little bit. Not that there's anything wrong with them. Like I said, when I fell in love with soft plastic, when Yum started coming out with all these baits and they got quite a variety of baits, they're just so – seem so easy to lose. And – to use in one thing when I I buy these dingers thirty in a pack or a hundred in a pack, you know, get a little break on them. Thing is, when I hang a dinger up and lose it, I've lost about five cents. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the spinner bait you lose about five bucks. Oh, that, Maybe even that's that's cheap ones. Yeah, uh, and spinner baits, boy, I love the War Eagle. Uh, Those are good spinner baits, and mm-hmm. I use a lot of them with a Colorado blade. And sometimes I find just that single Colorado blade. Yeah, that's what I use. Yeah, sometimes I go to a double, but most time this time of year I use that single blade. That yeah. seems to move enough water and cause enough vibration that boy, it does the trick. And spinner baits, great. Uh, I like to find fish, prospect with, with that, that big yeah. spinner bait. You can cover a lot, a lot of water. And it was interesting yesterday, uh, buddy in the boat, he wanted to go one direction along this dam, and that's on the south end of the lake. That's, now the wind's coming out of the south, and it was blowing pretty hard, uh, and the lake kind of split. There was a smaller cove to the left. I said, there's our ticket right there. The water crashing on that bank could put some bait fish up there. Uh it's up in the weeds and the brush, and I think that's where fish will be. And, man, did we ever clobber them just in that one-one cove. And did we, we did f- it seem like the the worms were better than the spinnerbait? Yes, yeah. yes. I caught some fish, uh, just a few on uh, spinnerbaits, but I was – I think I was running it too fast, which is easy to do, mm-hmm. and it it wasn't deep enough in the water column. Now, I'm talking difference, uh, you know, of a, of a foot or so. Right. And when I let those dingers, I, I first was flipping them out and let, let them settle all the way to the bottom. I let it sit there for 30 seconds or so. If a fish didn't pick it up, then it'd hop it. And lots of times on that first hop, they nailed it. It's almost yep. like they could smell it and they had moved towards it but they just need a little bit of action to get yep. them to move. Yeah, or they see it fall down after the cast, and, and they move in on it, and then as soon as you twitch it, they hit it. Oh, absolutely. But it's amazing. Remember, folks, dark water, dark colors. That green mm-hmm. pumpkin worked. I used a, a June bug, a black and blue. Uh, they all worked, and the dingers was all I, mm-hmm. all I threw. Now, if you move, move on up into April and get up in, into May, I'll start using some lighter colors. And I'll even... Uh, 
fish it, it, it's funny particularly on the rivers i like to throw the ned dingers they're all of about yep. what two and a half or three inches long yep put a little lead head on them and that is about as do nothing a bait as you can find yep but i don't know what they resemble probably crayfish i guess to mm-hmm. fish but i think the like the ends you know the tail just sits there and flutters again in the water and if you're in current it You're really exactly right. Twitching it will, around. Yeah, it will flutter, even as short as uh, that bait is, but a deadly, deadly smallmouth bait. I, yeah, I even use those on the river in clear water. And, yeah. That, and uh, I don't know what it is about that black color, even just straight black. They seem to love it. And just a four-inch, like I've used a four-inch power bait black worm on that river. That's like my go-to worm. Or if it's black with a little bit of pink or red, that works good, too. Uh, yeah, you're kind of a man after my own heart, man. But <laughs> another bait I use uh, both the lakes and rivers zooms. Uh, it's a super salt uh, plus crawl in a black sapphire, and it's got two big kicker tails on yep. it. That's a pretty good size bait. Creates a big uh, profile. I, I caught a few fish on it yesterday as well. But boy, I was doing so well on those dingers, I just I, could not get away from them. Going into summer too, another good one is that baby brush hog. It, and that's another really good one for the for the river too. And I use like oh, a, a, a green pumpkin flake with red flake, I guess, black uh-huh. and red flake, or a, a, just a pumpkin with black flake works I, pretty good. I, I see a river trip in our future. We're gonna, oh yeah, we're gonna get a little competition <laughs> going here. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see whose baits work the best. There you go. Of course, we all know that uh, a what you got confidence in for a, for you know. A big part of it. But another favorite bait of mine is the reaction bait, the smallie beaver. You said you use that as a trailer on a jig. Yeah, on my jigs, and I use those sometimes too in the summer. But, like, if I'm fishing pretty thick cover, like, I'll put that on a jig. And, like, when it's summertime I and it's clearer water, I get away from the blacks and the black uh, jigs and black and blue flake, and I, I go to more of, like, a green pumpkin or pumpkin and – Kind of lighten it up a little bit, but that that green um, pumpkin color works really good. Well, those things, of course, imitate imitate a crawdad, but in the summertime, uh, I'm st- I still throw those dingers. Of course, when I'm on a river by myself, I got seven or eight rods rigged up. You yeah, know, look like a tackle store. White a white fluke, like a three inch oh. white fluke with like a heavy hook, a heavier hook on it. Yes, you can just twitch around. They think it's a. Have you been following me? I think so. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorites in the summertime, if I could only take one bait to the river, it would be that pearl white fluke. They work great. They do. You can throw them in the weeds, you know, weedless. And a lot of people, you know how you rig them up and you run the hook up through the body yep. and back out the top. Mm-hmm. I get a lot more hookups once I run it through the head and twist the hook around if I just skin hook it on the side of the bait. Yeah. Now, it will pop out once in a while and you'll get stuck and you'll lose the bait. So what? They're pretty cheap, mm-hmm. and uh, I find out uh, I find that I get a lot more hookups that way. Yeah, they they work good. You gotta you gotta let them sink down a little bit and float around, but then you twitch them. <laughs> next thing you know, you got you got one on. So it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, you twitch that thing. It's just like a dart. Darting, dying, mental, hard to beat. Man, we could talk baits forever, but there's some other great things going on out there, too. Pick my first tick off of me today. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Those are never fun. Hey, I, I start taking uh, my garlic pills. Uh, should have already started with turkey season so close. That kind of helps keep the 
keep the ticks off and man you need to spray your clothes because we all know uh ticks can be a serious issue out there i've had rocky mountain spotted fever that was no fun other serious diseases out there but i don't let it keep me out of the woods i'm gonna keep going you know Mm -hmm. Uh, they'll have to suck all the blood out of me before i quit (laughs) (laughs) but hey another thing that's going on morel mushrooms are finding them already man and i've got some uh, secret spots along the river i can take my jet boat and run and catch some smallmouth catch some rainbow trout and then I like to stop and look for those morel mushrooms. Yep. Hunter, what's your favorite uh, mushroom recipe? Uh, just pretty simple. Just, you know, throw them in some egg wash and, and put some flour on them and right in the, right in the pan with some, some oil. And uh, just salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. I, I was anxious to see what you were going to say at the end. Salt and pepper is hard to beat. Yep. It, it, it really is. The, the mushroom itself pretty much does all the flavor and the work so that's just yeah. kind of extra well one of the coolest mushroom hunts I ever had in my life one of the easiest i was at a ray media camp up in north missouri one time and they had a lot of uh deep ditches along the gravel roads and through the farms for drainage purposes i mean these things were eight foot tall probably and they had a lot of maple trees on them and i had a guy that's Stopped along a gravel road, and he had like 7,000 acres leased up to turkey hunt on, but he had a pair of binoculars, and he's scanning. I said, you see turkeys? He said, no, I see mushrooms. He find them with his binoculars. Oh, wow. <laughs> Looking across the field, and they were big things. We picked, I mean, five-gallon buckets Wow, of mushrooms. I've never done anything like that. Maybe a quarter of a bucket like that is is the biggest bunch of them I found. Well, but. it was the first time I ever got sick on morel mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little so, rich. So there, there's a disadvantage to having too many. Well, folks, gosh, we could talk bass fishing, crappie fishing, baits, lures, ticks, mushrooms. Uh, there's a lot going on in the springtime woods. There's no more beautiful place than Missouri Ozarks. We need to take just a short break here, but don't go away. We've got some other fun things to talk about. I'm Bill Cooper and Hunter Heinemann. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip, whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else. Chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But who's all valley? There's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Hi, guys. Rick Day with the Cowtown USA. Here from Cowtown USA Superstore these days. And, and you might say, what do you mean, Rick, Superstore? Well... 
pretty much whatever you want to do outside, we sell, we service, and we service everything we do sell. We've got, uh, for this year, new lines of tractors. The slogan is selling you red tractors, saving you some green cash. We've got Yanmar tractors uh, that are coming out of Houston. we got uh, Mahinda tractors that are coming out of Georgia. We've got all the equipment as far as tillers, rakes, buckets, cutters. We've got it all to go with them. We've got some great financing. I know financing stupid now, but the manufacturers are offering some zero interest and some rebates, you know, so there's some choices to be made in there. We've got Can-Am, ATVs, UTVs, and, and that's as low as 1.99. Then we've got the Can-Am Spiders out there for you. We've got Can-Am Rikers. We first started doing Can-Am 25 years ago. Nobody had ever heard of them. Now everybody understands that they are the best equipment on the market. We've got that, and for the first time in a couple of years, we have got some choices for you. So, but, but that won't stay that way. If you want something for this spring and something that you want to ride this summer and this fall, you need to get to Cowtown USA, that's for sure. Then we've got uh, the, the marine side of this. We picked up Mercury. We picked up Suzuki. We've been Legend SS for 25 years, which, in my opinion, is one of the best aluminum uh, jet boats on the market. We picked up Blazer boats the other day, another all-welded boat. We've got some of those in inventory as well. And and here now for the sixth year in a row, we are Missouri's number one horse trader dealer. We are Murhouse number one horse trader dealer nationwide. But we've got Murhouse, we've got Lakota, we've got Calico, we've got Bayos flatbed trailers. I mean, guys, we pretty much are, well, the sign says Superstore. So you can come here and shop. Whatever you want to do, we can do. Uh, so give us a call here at Cowtown, 573-885-6300. CowtownUSAINC.com is our website. But give us a call at 573-885-6300. Thank you. Hi, I'm Nick Darling with the Conservation Federation of Missouri. CFM is a nonprofit organization with the goal of ensuring conservation of Missouri's wildlife and natural resources and preservation of our state's rich outdoor heritage through advocacy, education, and partnerships. The deadline for applications for our Conservation Leadership Corps has been extended to May 14th. The Conservation Leadership Corps is CFM's premier youth education program for high school and college students interested in Missouri's outdoors. Students in the Conservation Leadership Corps are heavily involved in CFM's resolution process, have opportunities to network with MDC and DNR employees, have access to exclusive career development workshops, and much more. To learn more about the program and to apply, visit confedmo.org slash CLC. Again, applications close Sunday, May 14th, so don't wait any longer to get your application in. It's time for Conservation Notes with Missouri Department of Conservation Deputy Director Aaron Jeffries. Hi, this is Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Hey, I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about 
conservation areas here around the state. How many of you all knew that you had 1,000 conservation areas for you to explore, to hunt, to bike ride, to camp and, and enjoy? 300 boat accesses, 70 public shooting ranges, 15 nature centers, and hundreds and hundreds of miles of biking and hiking and horseback trails here in the state. Would encourage you to go online, download the Mo Outdoors app that will provide you access, or go to the department's webpage, mdc.mo.gov, and look up for a conservation area close to you so you can get out and enjoy the great outdoors. Steve Stoltz is a world-class turkey hunter. Here's this week's turkey hunting tip. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Woodhaven Custom Calls, Mossy Oak Camouflage, and Drury Outdoors. My turkey tip for the week this week is don't be scared to use a decoy. Uh, there's a lot of myths about decoys, but I can tell you this. The Avian X Trophy Tom decoy is one decoy I will not hunt without. Doesn't mean I carry it all the time. There is the, the, the time and place for a decoy. But if you need a decoy, use one. For instance, open areas, fields, places that you're set up where you know the turkey is going to see you from a distance. Man, those decoys really work. Those Avian X is what my personal favorite uh, decoy is. And I use an Avian X HDR Jake, a lookout hen, and a feeder hen. I like to use three decoys if I can. It just makes it look more natural. Turkeys like to go to the flock. They like their, their social birds. So when they see multiple birds rather than just one, they're far more inclined to come to your location. And be smart about how you set your decoys. Don't set your decoys straight out in front of you. And don't set them where the turkeys will see you in between, uh, basically putting you between the decoys' vision and the turkeys. Set them out to one side or the other. Other, So you want to put them, uh, if the turkey's coming from your left, you want to put the decoys a little bit to your right, about 10, 15 yards. And that's the other thing. Don't put the decoys too far from your location. You want the turkeys to come in close for a shot. Uh, you hear a lot about reaping with a decoy. Well, let me tell you, it works. And I don't leave home without my trophy tom. And, and, and I use a real turkey fan that I spread out, salt down, and let it dry out, and I put it in that trophy tom. And I can tell you this, every single gobbler that I took last spring was, was directly a result of using the trophy tom, using that visual to bring that gobbler in for the shot. I'm Steve Stoltz, and that's my turkey hunting tip for the week. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm Bill Cooper with Hunter Hyman. And Hunter, man, we had a good time in that first segment. Yeah. I, th- I think we did more stop talking, but, you know, that's some of our favorite subjects, that springtime bass and crappie fishing, uh, man, turkey hunting, hunting morel mushrooms. I wish spring would last so much longer. I know. Yeah, it, it's it's my favorite time of the year for sure, and it's I always look forward to it. And you get out of the cold winter months, and here comes spring, and, Put you in a good mood and then start it seeing does. turkeys and mushrooms and you can fish and it starts warming up. It's it's just fun. Well, I always say if anybody's uh, in a foul mood in springtime, they're not an outdoorsman. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> may, be, may be true. But, Hunter, you're a 
you and your dad and your crew, you know, living the dream outdoor properties. Uh, man, you got to cheer up in the springtime too, from a mm-hmm. land agent uh, point of view, because uh, I would think the attitude of buyers and sellers changes a little bit in the springtime. Yes, it does, um, <laughs> for sure. Um, I have been pretty busy the past just couple weeks. It's like March fifteenth. Going into that first week of April is just like kind of chaos when you're a real estate agent, it seems like. Um, and especially with the outdoor properties, um, you know, a lot, the biggest thing that I hear is, well, you know, we're going to wait. We want to wait till it greens up and our, our farm will look better, you know. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> that, that's one thing that I hear a lot, and um, they do look really cool in the springtime when you get a lot of the stuff oh, blooming do. and everything, it looks very beautiful. But, um, the one thing I will say about that is that, uh, me as an agent, I think that it's better to actually have your property on the market before like April 1st, mm. actually, even at the end of February is a good time to do it because then your property is, if it hasn't sold yet, it's been on the market for the whole month of March, and people that are going to start looking in the spring and doing that springtime search for property, um, for whatever reason, you know, they're looking in the spring. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're, your property is already going to be on the market and seen, or maybe right. they, they saw it one time and maybe passed it up, or maybe you work with your agent and then lower the price one time during that month and they're following your property a little bit. And the next thing that you know that you lower the price and then they're coming to look at it. So I think it's better instead of waiting until April and then making a move to actually have it on the market before then you might capture that first wave of people coming through. Well, sound like a plan, but uh, boy, I think if I was out looking for a big property, you know, Spring, maybe fall too, but spring's got to be the absolutely best. And I know uh, I've got an outdoorsman's heart, and people are looking for that hunting, fishing, outdoor property. You know, mm-hmm. when those red buds are blooming, the dogwoods are starting to bloom, hey, you might hear a turkey gobble, see turkeys strutting out in the field. That's got to be a huge plus for selling an outdoor property, yep. Yep. Uh, that visual effect. And, and of course, the air doesn't smell too bad. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Spraying too, if you get some of those uh, fragrant trees blooming. And uh, so for the person that's looking for that springtime property mm-hmm. and they're just uh, starting to look, yeah. tips to help them out. Okay. <clears throat> um, obviously, you know, things have changed in the real estate market a little bit since the past year or two. Uh, but really, honestly, like I hear a lot of buyers too say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in, in doing anything yet or I'm not going to buy anything. I'm going to hold off until the market slows down or worsens. And <clears throat> honestly, it, it hasn't really worsened at all. Um, I just listed I think six, seven properties in the past week, and wow. they're all pretty cool places, and I expect them to, to get a lot of activity um, at this time of the year. So, um, But, <clears throat> yeah, the market is in a different spot. You know, interest rates went up and stuff, so mm-hmm. probably three or four times in the past seven months, uh, eight months, um, which is kind of a bummer, but the way that I look at it is, you know, COVID was such a unique situation and, and a time in everybody's lives that 
it, it was just craziness. And so banks, you know, were making loans at 3%, 4%. Um, you know, right now, it's 5 to 7 it's not like we jumped to 25%. Exactly. Know? And I saw that happen one time earlier yes. in my home morning yep. situation, you know, hit 19, 20% on right. a variable rate one time. Right. I went backwards for a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my younger life. So, so really all we've done is return to a Not normal a market, a, no, a more normal market. Um, but <clears throat> within that, with these rural recreational properties, I've kind of noticed that if there's a piece that let's say that has never really been on the market before, maybe it's been in the family for a hundred years, uh, you know, or it hasn't been on the online world market because that wasn't a thing then. Right. So, um, what I've kind of noticed is just that with these unique one of a kind places, when we put them out with our marketing plan, they're going to go quick. Um, so if you're a buyer looking um, and you're serious and, and you go to look at a property and you really enjoy it, really like it. Um, I would say some of the tips and tricks that are going to help you as a buyer to actually getting that property under contract are a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> obviously the biggest one that everybody knows is the price. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, and again, I work with a lot of buyers and sellers, um, but I, I really um, work with a lot of sellers, I would say. Um, <clears throat> and that number one thing, you know, that they always look at is price. But there's more to an offer that they're looking at than just that. Um, you know, and again, I've had people have this misconception, too, that cash is better than financing. Well, not always. I mean, if the guy that's financing pays pays a better price and he's got a loan approval, we don't care where his money's coming from. We're probably going to go with the higher price. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> cash can close quicker, but in today's world, whether you're getting a loan or cash, you're still looking um, at about a 35, 40-day process, um, 30 to 40 days, I would say. So... But price is the number one thing. You know, you have to be competitive with that. Um, you know, I always tell people that buyers that call me and ask me about my seller's property, um, you know, they always ask, like, are they negotiable? Well, I'm not going to tell you what my seller's going to take bottom line. I don't even honestly know what they're going to take bottom line. But, you know, I think if you submitted an offer within reason, we would take a look at it. And to me as an agent, I think that is within 10%. And honestly, if you can be closer to five, you're going to have a really good chance of working that deal out with that seller. Uh, you don't want to offend them. And I have kind of found that once you start straying away from that, you know, under 10%, it's, it's kind of, you might get lucky and be able to come <laughs> in at 15 and work a deal out. But um, each situation is different. Um, the other thing that I would say that is, uh, one of the things that I look at and I think people don't consider it enough is earnest money. Earnest money is that good faith statement from that buyer that they're going to follow through with this deal all the way to closing. So they give that consideration to that seller up front. And 
most of the time it's a monetary value, um, a dollar amount. But, Everybody likes dollars. Right. <laughs> and basically where I think people don't understand with farms and stuff is when that buyer, let's just say it's a $500,000 farm and they give them $10,000 earnest money. On the selling side, the way that we look at that is is that buyer is giving us $10,000 for that 30 to 45, 40-day 40 window of closing to hold that property off of the market. Right. And we're not going to sell it. You have that contract, and we're going to honor that too. And here's $10,000. So we'll hold it off the market, and we'll hold your $10,000 at the title company, but you know, perform. <laughs> if, if they have contingencies within that, you know, then, and they get past that buyer gets past all those contingencies and we're two days away from close and they back out. Well, then they have to forfeit that. But at that point in time, my sellers moved tractors. He's sold all of his equipment. He's gone, he's moved. He's probably out of the house right. and may not have anywhere to go. So, at that point, that covers his damages. And honestly, gotcha. 10000 10, in that scenario probably wouldn't cover right. a lot of that stuff if it's a big farm. Um, but that's just a scenario. I think it, earnest money along with price is very important. But the things is a buyer that you can um, help you get a contract is being aggressive with your price, um, earnest money. So... The best purchase price, the most earnest money, the fewest contingencies, and the quickest close. That that's what's gonna help that buyer get that property under contract. Sounds like a good recipe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it works uh, yep. from experience. Yep. Well, uh, the bottom line too is whether you're a buyer or a seller, you have to keep it in mind as long as there are people on the face of the earth, mm-hmm. as long as there's land there, things are gonna be ha- happening. Right, and that's the other thing too, like you know, yeah, prices went up during COVID. They're still kind of holding around what they were doing, and they are still selling, but maybe our time on the market is a, is a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's still great. Um, I mean, we're moving a lot of really cool places. I know. I watch you guys all, all the time, practically every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, a lot of your agents post on Facebook which, yeah. and the other social media platforms, which mm-hmm. I think is just fabulous. But uh, some of us older folks, you know, that uh, watch those sorts of things, still makes us drool, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. some of those beautiful properties, beautiful yep. homes. And it's social media, a great thing, yeah. though, yeah. in that regard. Yep. You guys use it heavily. Yes, we do. We have Living the Dream, I think, now has over 22,000 followers on Facebook. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, why are you selling property so fast? We've grown it very <laughs> pretty quick. Um, well, you got a cool guy who works for you, too, Larry the photographer. Yeah, yeah he does very good. Um, and then, like, some tips and tricks on the other side of the equation is if you're, like, a seller, some of the things that I think, you know, help you move that property if you're a seller that and most of my sellers don't need to to sell their property they would just like to and and they want to um get the equity out of it or get um the appreciation that's happened over 20 years out of it um and most of them are making a life change maybe retiring downsizing uh maybe they'll still go buy something recreational but instead of being on 200 acres they're going to go to more like 20 acres or something or 30 acres uh, with a smaller house. So on the selling side, 
<clears throat> I think some of the things that, you know, help that seller sell that property in the quickest amount of time for the most amount of money, there's a few things. Um, springtime. So one, <laughs> one thing would be spring cleaning. You know, uh, when you're going to put that property on the market, you know, we make properties look very good and very presentable. But, you know, I can't erase the bed not being made or I can't move clutter. I can't move mail that's on the table, you know. So just kind of decluttering it, making it show ready. Um, Any equipment that might be outside that is older or looks not the best, you know, put it away somewhere, get rid of it. Um, Just kind of cross your T's and dot your I's. Um, and and button everything up and make it look sparkly and good and then <laughs> um, and again it's it hopefully if you do that it's it'll pay off um, because in the end if you have all that stuff or maybe a, a old truck that that's just sitting there a bunch of old trucks or something um, that buyer is probably going to mention it in their offer to you. And it's probably going to come out of the seller's pocket to get rid of it. Um, so that's why I say that. Um, there's a lot of little things, you know, that you might spiff a property up that will help you in the end obt- obtain more money and also sell it quicker. Uh, and then I would say, too, just really take into consideration looking at what actual market value is. So when you are looking at that, don't, don't go online and look at other active properties because they haven't sold yet. That's your competition as a seller. So if someone's listed at $2 million and you have the same amount of acreage as them with a house with the same square footage, don't list yours at $2.5 million. They're going to go price shop over at the $2 million. You list yours maybe a little bit below that competition. So you can look at active properties and try to make yours competitively priced to that. But really what you want to look at is what has sold in the past really three to six months. Uh, And if you have to go a little bit farther back, you can look maybe in the past year and then you figure out price per acre and add your improvements on top of it. Um, But you want to be, you know, within no more than probably 10 to 20% of what market value is uh, as a seller. So you, you definitely want to be positioned to where you're close to market value. Um, but with that one right buyer, they may come in and, and really enjoy your place and they might give you a little extra for it. You might be a, if the farm is above, you know, average, then it could hit above market value. There's certain features on that property that make it stand out or worth more than that buyer will tell you in their offer if they think that. Well, boy, those are some great, great tips. A lot of things that the average person doesn't. Doesn't think about. That's why you hire a realtor. <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, I think it's it's a very wise thing to do. Um, and Absolutely. again, we'll be able to look at all those little points and details mm-hmm. um, within that contract. Because where where things really get hairy with real estate is that thirty day window. Once you're under contract to close. Because you have to jump through quite a bit of hoops a lot of times with most buyers. They're going to go get financing. So it's going to be contingent on an appraisal. Um, it's going to be <clears throat> contingent on that lender making them the loan. Um, it's going to be contingent on title work. So that buyer is going to be able to 
do the title search, get the title work back, review all that, make sure it's good, make sure it's got access, there's no encroachments, there's no anything on title that that would transfer to them. Um, if they if the buyer wants surveys, that's another hoop you got to jump through is surveys. We got to make sure that that property is accurately you know accurately marketed at, at what it was. But in Missouri, you know, a lot of them are marketed as plus or minus. So until that survey is done, you know, the county might say it's 80 acres. But when that survey gets done, it could be 85 or could be 75. Mm -hmm. So then you have to work through that, um, that little hoop of, well, I actually have five more acres than I thought. Is the buyer going to pay for it? You know, how... So that agent will be that middleman and help figure that out. And again, we usually do that on a price per acre based off of the survey. So if they say 80 acres at 2,000 an acre uh, and it ends up being 85, that buyer pays them for the extra five at 2,000 an acre. If it's less, the seller takes the hit. Right. But that's the fairest way to work it out between sure. both parties. Um, makes sense. But, yeah. well, that's a long list of things to, to think about, though. Oh, yeah. And again... Uh, you know, you guys call yourself living the dream outdoor properties. And that's what you're trying to do is make people's dreams come true. Yes. Either <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. But, Whether they're buying or, you know, they really need to make that life change. That's what we're we're here to do is to, to help people find what they're looking for in the recreational outdoor lifestyle or, you know, if they're ready to move on with that part of their life and make a, a change, then we're here to try to help them make that happen as quick as, as possible in our National marketing plan just does such a good good job of that, and we have such a good na- uh, local presence now that um, we just it's just pretty crazy how many places we get to work on and how many how many people we get to meet and good people we get to meet that we get to work for. Absolutely, and again, you guys get to see the most beautiful places out there. You know, I, I, uh, looking at websites, man, I, I don't see anybody that has the multitude of really grandiose properties that you guys uh, list and for sellers another hint from an outdoorsman make it a little better put that bass fishing lake on it have some turkeys on the plate yeah have some morel mushrooms <laughs> there you go <laughs> great yeah. selling points well hunter man those are some great tips i'm sure people will will appreciate them because uh, again you know i've bought and sold a few times in my lifetime but gosh you for you forget those some of those things you know it's always uh, nice to have a refresher course, and uh, people listen to this podcast, if they're even thinking about buying or selling, uh, it's going to make them stop and think a little tighter, a little mm-hmm. closer, mm-hmm. and hopefully ins- inspire them yeah. to give you a call. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, what fun. Oh, we talk bass fishing, grabby fishing, ticks, <laughs> morel mushrooms, uh, living the dream outdoor properties. You put it all together. And, man, it truly is living the dream. And, folks, uh, Hunter Hyman and I, we're living our outdoor dreams. We hope that uh, you'll do the same. I'm Bill Cooper. And I'm Hunter Hyman. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, 
and Buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Taney Como Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573-263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's a bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassandBaskets.com. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bowfishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.